0: You can't imagine how much work and time and effort. Uh, It seems like it's a simple little production, but it's huge. These kids have been practicing for months, and they've been learning these songs and these lines, and i got to be honest with you, it blows my mind. And it's a powerful, powerful thing, because it represents a vibrancy, and it represents an energy, and it represents one of our values, that we are a church of all generations and how cool that our kids could lead us in worship this morning. And Heather Hood and her team of Chandra and of Abby, they they work with these kids and can you imagine the self-esteem that they're building? And I heard a story this morning about a young man who did this about 20 years ago, now he's a professional guitarist. He gets hired out for his services. And when I asked Peter, I said, Peter, where did I all start for you? He said, at CPC in a kid's musical. So we don't know how God's going to use this in their lives or how he'll use the message in our lives. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for musicians like Rich and Sarah and Jordan and Matt. And I'm just so grateful for Joe and their gifts because they're connecting us to God and we need to get connected to God. And then we got all these techno savvy characters. You don't even see them because they're all hidden in boxes upstairs. And one guy, Kenny, he's behind the soundboard. You got to watch him sometimes. This guy looks like he's playing the piano. He's just always just moving things. Gifted people serving God, seeing it as their ministry. And then the guy who wrote that, that musical, a member of our church, Joe Lovett. He just, this guy has a way of, of using humor and his gifts to honor God. And so if you're in agreement with me that this is the gospel coming to us in a profound and powerful way, and if you're in agreement with me, then, then I want you to shout amen. Are you in agreement with me? Amen. amen. Good. Okay. I'm done with the sermon. That's, you, got, you got everything you needed in the musical. Hey Ross, Ross, he's down here. I know this guy in the green shirt. Grab him. <laughs> oh, you're gonna get it later, pal. I'll tell you. I never forget, and I always get even. <clears throat> Recently received a, a funny email from a friend of mine, and uh, I got just a big kick out of it. It's about a slight misunderstanding and miscommunication, and uh, a Minneapolis couple from here, our hometown. They decided to get away on a cold, icy, brutal January time, and so they decided to go back to their favorite hotel in Florida. They'd been there 25 years earlier for their honeymoon. And and so they called and got reservations, and it was an old place, and uh, because of their hectic schedules, the husband had to leave on Thursday, and and then the wife was going to fly on Friday down to Florida. Florida. So he leaves Minneapolis, he gets there, and, and um, he checks into the hotel, and he discovers that this antiquated old hotel has now, it, it's, it's moving into the 20th century, it's got computers in the room, and it's got web access. And so he fires off an email to his wife, but there's one problem, he leaves just one letter out of the address of her email. So he sends off this email to somebody else. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow has just returned home from her husband's funeral, and she's expecting comforting messages from relatives and friends. She checks her email, and uh, after reading the first line, she screams out loud and she faints. Her son comes running into the office and looks at the computer screen, and he reads this, to my loving wife, subject, I've arrived, and I know you're surprised to hear that. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to loved ones I just arrived and check in and I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then, dear. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. PS, it sure is hot down here. <laughs> Oh buckets, (laughs) just a little misunderstanding, (laughs) just a little um, misunderstood message. But what I want to tell you is that today's passage and this musical is, there's nothing to misunderstand, there's no miscommunication, because the message is very clear. And it's a message that Jesus wants each of us this morning to understand. And it's a message that that Jesus desires for us to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Now, start with me from the very text that the musical was taken from. You know, in the corner of 8 and 17, 27. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from Mark's gospel. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went Onto the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. We're bombarded with questions, daily questions, every day. Big, important, life-changing questions. Where will I go to college? What will I do after I retire? Will you marry me? What will we name our baby? Will I move in order to take this new job? Will I get help for my addiction? When should I retire? Should I have this risky surgery? Uh, Excuse me doctor, what's my diagnosis? Questions, bombarded by questions. And there's really three important questions that I want us to consider this morning. Two of them, they come out of the text from Mark's gospel. And the other one is the right application for us after understanding God's word. Jesus and his disciples, they were on this road, and they were somewhere among a small village in a mountainous area near Mount Haran. Jesus had just healed this blind man he restored his sight and now he's with his disciples and he's asking them these important questions he says who do people say that i am and they replied some say you're john the baptist some say you're elijah and others say that you're one of the prophets they understood that people were talking about jesus they were talking about what he was doing and who he was see they said that about jesus the crowds because jesus actually resembled john the baptist they were cousins and not only that but their messages were similar they were preaching the good news messages about repentance about preparing the way And people thought that maybe Jesus was a reincarnation of Elijah because there were, again, many similarities in their teachings. And Elijah as well performed miracles. See, they were impressed with his prophetic nature, his character. And the average person on the street at this time, they think that he's, he's a magician. They think that he's a really really inspiring teacher, a good teacher, that he's a doctor, that he's a chef, more de more de more, <laughs> that somehow he has these abilities, but they really don't know who Jesus is. See, a lot of their insights are based on their perceptions of who he is. They had seen him with their own eyes many of the crowd they'd heard his teachings they were familiar but they didn't have the complete picture nor did they have the slightest idea that he was the Messiah now we do that to each other don't we we make decisions about each other by the way we look or by the things that we say you know I a couple weeks ago I I shaved off this really cool soul patch I had. I shaved it off to protect the public, actually. Because I was so sick of hearing that I looked like Colonel Sanders. Got on a plane and walked by the head steward, and as I walked by, he said, Hey, buddy, really love your chicken. (laughs) I turned around, and Jody grabbed my arm. Come on! I got so tired of that. But but we make we make decisions about people by how they look. We really do. I, I took that collar off as quick as I could after the, the the musical because I don't want people to have expectations about me. See, because they, they think if you're a pastor, really you're really absolutely no fun. I, I think I'm a pretty fun guy. But we make decisions about people we make judgments about their character and who they are but we don't know their whole story we don't know everything about them and that's what's happening to jesus at this time now jesus gets really really personal and he goes beyond the public opinion of what others are saying about him and he goes straight to his best friends to his 12 disciples and he said what about you who do you say that i am now, this conversation is recorded in two other Gospels. We, we have three Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're called the Synoptic Gospels. And the reason why is that there are synoptic similarities in each of the Gospels. And so I'm, I want us to look just briefly at Matthew's Gospel and the response of what Peter says. This takes place in, in Matthew 16, verse 16. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus, he assures Peter that he's correct. And then in verse 17, he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was revealed to you not by man, but my Father in heaven. God himself reveals to Peter the full identity of Jesus, yet Peter still doesn't comprehend it. Peter knew that Jesus was the given name, as as the son of Mary and Joseph, it was his given name, and Christ, as we heard from the musical, meant anointed one. Now this meant that the disciples believed or had hoped to believe that Jesus was the one that Israel had been waiting for since the time of David. This superhuman leader who would overthrow all of Israel's enemies. That's what they were hoping for. But they were hoping for a king, a mighty powerful king to do that. And so they're putting stake in their claim that Jesus is the one who's going to overthrow all of the oppressors. Now we know Peter's confession is strong at this moment of who Jesus is and yet The irony is, is about six months later in a garden around some Roman soldiers, Peter says, I don't know who he is. (laughs) Never met the guy. And three times the rooster crows. Now the third and obvious question is this question. This is a question for us. The question is posed to each of us this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say, Peter, that Jesus is? Who do you say, Mary, that Jesus is? Tim, who is Jesus for you? Sammy, who do you say that Jesus is? See, we had examples again in the musical. And we heard that he was nothing but a great teacher, an amazing doctor, a magician, a chef, a king, a counselor. Somebody we prayed to who answers our prayers with gifts like Santa Claus. We create our own images of Jesus. We shape him into our worldview. Some of us think he's uh, the big bail bondsman in the sky. That every time we get into trouble, somehow he's going to bail us out. See, we're trying to fit Jesus into how we think and how we want him to be. In his classic book, mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is wrestling with this idea, the idea of Jesus being who he said he was, the Son of God. Now, this is a long quote, but I want you to hang with me in it as I read it, and then we'll unpack it a little bit afterwards. C.S. Lewis writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman, or else something else, something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, and you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with this patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend us to. And now it seems obvious to me, said C.S. Lewis, that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was the Son of God. This very intelligent author and writer, philosopher. He says that he was more than just a good moral teacher, that he was either a lunatic, he was either a liar, or he truly was who he said he was, the Son of God. Right after this profound proclamation of Peter, Jesus begins to change the whole story. The mood changes and the direction of his ministry changes. This is considered the hinge passage where Jesus now starts talking about the sacrificial lamb. He starts talking about the suffering Messiah. The text in Mark says that he began to teach them about the Son of Man and how he must suffer many things and be rejected. And he starts talking about his saving work on the cross and that he would be killed and on the third day he'd be raised to life. The story begins to change radically for Jesus and his disciples from this conversation on. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege of speaking at a, a weekend and um, I had to speak at a, on a Saturday night after people, 200 folks, had this big, huge honking dinner. I mean, that's the worst time to be speaking after people, and they're waiting for dessert, and really they'd like to go to bed or take a nap or something. And so I was commissioned with just trying to keep them awake. And I was talking about wanting to be like Jesus, and I was talking about an attitude of gratitude. And I felt the Holy Spirit in a powerful way in the room. And I was even surprised myself at some of the things that were coming out of my mouth. And after that evening, um, I'd heard a story about a woman who got up from her table in a full sweat, breathing really hard, and she left her husband and all the people at the table and she ran out of the room. And so I found her name and got her phone number and I texted her and I, I said, Margaret, I'd really like to talk to you if possible. I'd love to know how you're doing and, and what went on. And so we got together the next morning because we were on this retreat. And it was amazing to hear her story. She talked about all the pain in her life. Talked about a father who was abusive and alcoholic. She said, Rich, I could not explain. I'm a control person. I could not explain what was going on with me. I was hyperventilating. I was sweating. I was crying. I, I'd lost it, she said. And I can't understand why. I can't understand why. And, and I wanted so desperately to step into some kind of spiritual, religious discussion, but I kept listening. And what happened for her is she realized that it wasn't about her, that God had been with her the whole time, and that she had been receiving all the gratitude for herself. And it was so amazing. And she asked me, Rich, who is Jesus? And I got a chance to tell her, and even greater. We prayed together afterwards. Many of us need but can't answer the question. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Who is this one who's redeemed us? I am so grateful that Margaret and I had that conversation. Because I was able to tell her about the restoring nature of this loving God, I was able to tell her that she was rescued by his love on a cross. The apostle Paul says in Galatians 12 2:20, he says, "The life I now live is in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. He loves me, and he gave himself for me." Margaret, he gave himself. For you. Now, I can only speak for myself, but I, I want you to know something you already know. I am a sinner. I am a sinner saved by grace. Grace, grace alone. And that I have personally experienced. I've come to know the powerful, life-changing love The unmerited, undeserved, unconditional, real, forgiving love of Jesus Christ. I know that for myself. I know that he's the son of God. I know that he's the redeemer. And that's what I believe. Not because I get paid to believe it. I believe that he knows my name. That he's called me. That he walks with me through the challenges of life. And he does that. Why? Because I'm precious. Because I'm loved. See, you are precious and you are loved. And he demonstrated his love for you and for me on a cross. And he gave us not only a victory over our brokenness, but a promise that we would be restored through the resurrection one day. That we would be healed forever. Totally, sacrificially, he loves you. Now, at the end of the day, it really, truly matters who you say Jesus is. But what really matters is an even more important question. Who does Jesus say you are? You know what he says? He says, you're my child. He says, you're beloved. He says... I did it all for you. He said, I forgive your sins. He said, you're precious to me, and I love you. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for your undeserved, unmerited love and grace for us. See, it's not about us. It's not about what we've done. It's not even about what we're gonna do, but it's about what you have done for us on a cross and through an empty tomb. Thank you that you are truly the Son of God, the anointed one, the Messiah. And thank you that you desire us to answer the question, who are you to us? Give us the courage to answer it. Because your love is so amazing. And we thank you for it. In your holy name I pray.